Liverpool 3 0. Call it, take it quickly, Origi! Hello and welcome to the Anfield Central podcast. It's two wins out of two for the Reds. A great start to the season. And I'm joined by James and Max to discuss that and much more. How are we doing, boys? Not too bad. It's always good to speak to you two, but obviously after a win, it makes it even better. Yeah, always good to chat, boys, um, especially after six points out of six. Let's make it nine out of nine this weekend. Yeah, can't complain about that. But before we go into the game itself, a 2-0 win over Burnley, we've got a little bit of news over the last couple of days coming out of the club. We'll kick off with Andy Robertson in the last couple of hours, actually, as we record, has signed a new contract that will keep him at the club until 2026. I'm sure all Liverpool fans are absolutely delighted by that. Another new contract signed up. Um, in this summer window. How important is it to get a person like Robbo tied down, guys? Especially when, you know, you, we know the big big names at the club, the Salas, the Van Dykes, um, et cetera, are key, key players. But someone like Robbo, with not only what he can do on the pitch, but also the kind of guy he is in the dressing room as well. Yeah, it's huge. I think you look at, you know, what he's done since he's come in from Hull, obviously a slow start. You know, didn't get many games when he first came in initially, but... No, he's been hands down the best left back in the league since since uh, coming into the first team, um, and like you said, the amount of new contracts have been signed over the summer. That's now Van Dyke, Robertson, Trent, and Allison all signing, you know, new contracts. Which is, pardon, and Fabinho, yeah, and Fabinho, yeah. So you know, that's every, you know, that's the back line and the best holder midfielder in the league committing the future to the club for the next four or five years. Um, it's absolutely huge and you know you said the person he is on the pitch and he is in the changing rooms I think what he is off the pitch you know he does quite a lot for the homeless shelters and, and feed in the community so you know it's, it's just good to have somebody of his quality on and off the pitch um, tied down to the squad Yeah he's a great character to have around um, in all honesty I was fairly safe in the knowledge that um, uh, that Robbo would sign I couldn't see him um, moving anywhere unless it was back up to Scotland later in his career. Um, uh, but no, I mean, it's great to have him on. He's clearly a big part of the leadership group. Um, his work rate up and down the left side of the pitch, um, his quality both defensively and um, offensively to a greater degree is fantastic. Um, one of the best crosses of, ball, of a ball I've seen from left back um, probably since I've been watching football. Um, and yeah, really, really glad to have him. And also, hopefully, that means that him and uh, James Milner can put out a bit more quality content uh, when they feel like it. <clears throat> yeah, that's what he signed for, definitely just for that. <laughs> um, but that's one obviously staying at the club, but we've had one leave the club in the last few days as well. Jordan Shakiri, as expected, completes his move to Leon. Nine, I think it's 9.5 million pounds is the, is the fee that's being discussed. Um, obviously, we knew it was it was inevitable. He's been a bit part player, really, for the last 12 months or so, you'd say. But it's still, I guess, kind of sad to see him go, given what he's contributed to the club over the last two or three years. Yeah, I think he's, in terms of a squad player or somebody who can can come on and change the game on its head, I think Shakiri's definitely one of those players. We've seen what he's like at dead ball situations and with the ball, you know, with his feet in and around the box, he's been... When called upon, he's been a really good player for Jurgen Klopp, especially in his first season. All well, the two goals against United um, to win 3-1, which 
you know, got Mourinho the sack. I think, you know, Liverpool and United fans will remember those goals. But yeah, I think if if the rumours are true where the open negotiation starts at 4.5 million and we've managed to sell him for around about the 9.5, then I think it's good business by the club. And, you know, hopefully, you know, it, it might mean somebody comes in to take up the other non-British place within the squad. But as we keep talking about week after week after week, um, we just never seem to know anything if, and if it's going to happen. But I mean, listen, he leaves the Premier League in a year and a Champions League winner. Uh, great servant for the club in, in the time he's been. He's not one who's kicked off when he's had to sit on the bench or he's not been in the squad. He's he's just gone about his business and to wish him all the best of luck in Lyon. Yeah, I think I can only echo those sentiments. Um, so technically gifted. Um, some of the goals that he scored for us. One, I think it was against Fulham, like first time volley off um, off Robertson's cross straight into the bottom corner. He's just that left foot of his is an absolute peach. Um, that assist for Salah earlier this season, I think first time bowl forty yards um, straight into Salah's feet. That guy is a uh, he's not. Quite, I think the only reason he's being sold is because he just from an athletic point of view just is not an attacker or midfielder that suits our system, but he's more than technically good enough. Um, fantastic player. Um, and yeah, I, I think he'll do really well in France. I think you'll see him um, become Leon's best player in the absence of uh, Memphis Depay. I think he fits that sort of number 10 role that Nabil Fakir um, played for them a few years ago. I think he fits that really well. Um so, yeah, I think him and probably Hussam Awar and Matsons Kakare um, can fit, um, make a very nice little um, midfield triangle. So, uh, yeah, um, all the best to him. And I know that I've been saying for ages I want the transfer window over, but now he's gone. If Harvey Elliott is taking his place, I've noticed that they've been very keen to say that Harvey Elliott is taking Shakiri's spot rather than saying there won't be any additions into the squad. Um, so I, I think another forward is now needed if Elias is slotting in as that sort of advanced midfielder that he seems to be. Yeah, fingers crossed. I think we um, all would like to see another new face come in before the deadline next week. So hopefully on next week's podcast, we're talking about a transfer that's came out of absolutely nowhere. Um, so we'll see about that. But let's get stuck into the Burnley game. And as I said, um, we beat Burnley 2-0 goals from Jota and Sadio Mane. What do we think about the game overall? From from my perspective, it was you know, a pretty professional job. I think for the most part, it was very controlled. There may have been one or two hairy moments at the start of the first half and start of the second half. But other than that, I think we pretty much controlled the whole game. And there was lots of chances, really. 2-0 probably flattered Burnley a little bit. Yeah, I totally agree. I think they, they didn't seem to get out of second gear at times, you know, Van Dijk was just strolling around with the ball, you know, and Burnley never really put the pressure on us, like you said, with the Ashley Barnes disallowed goal at the beginning of the of the second half. I think that was really the only time I felt, you know, Burnley could get behind us here or they could cause us a few problems because we know that Ashley Barnes and Chris Wood are two strikers who like to get in the way and make it hard for the opposition defenders. But I, th- I thought we played absolutely brilliantly on, on Saturday. I think that had the potential to be a banana skin, half 12 kickoff. Everybody's watching your first game at Anfield. You know, all we've spoken about as fans since, you know, fans can't be in the stadium is Liverpool and missing the 12th man. So I think if Liverpool had got beat on, on Saturday or Hampton got the win, you know, that would have had, you know, 
rival fans would have given them something to say, but you know, dominant performance, you know, Jota, Mane and Salah. Yes, Jota doesn't do the work off the ball that Firmino does, but those three are, are looking really dangerous together. Um, and then I think you add somebody like oh, Harvey Elliott, you know, I'm calling him a wild card this season for Liverpool. You know, not many Premier League teams will know much about him, but you throw somebody like him in who isn't scared to take on the big players, you know, isn't scared to to go up against probably the, the toughest team in the Premier League in terms of stature. And yeah, I, I think it's looking really promising for us so far this season. Yeah, um, I think uh, that game was an illustration of what we've missed, really. Um, watching the set pieces of Matip and Van Dijk just winning headers in the box. We missed so much of that last season. And the second goal was an absolute work of art. Um Again, Van Dijk exhibiting what we were missing last season, just absolutely pinged the ball, what, a good 60 yards out to Elliot. Um, and then that little dink uh, from Alexander-Arnold into Mane's path, who just absolutely powered it home. Um, yeah, I love it. Um, I love Elliot in that midfield. I think he brings that directness, that, um, that willingness to take someone on. Um, and to, um, yeah, to have a go and run through the midfield at someone. I think having him in midfield, I, oh, I know it's ballsy, but I'd start him against Chelsea. I really would. I think, really, yeah, I would. I think that he, I think with Kante coming back, I think we want someone. I suspect what will end up happening is it will be Thiago Henderson Fabinho, but. I no, I wouldn't mind even if, especially if Fabinho isn't fit or sorry not isn't fit is um, still in mourning after the passing of his father. Um, if Henderson played six, and then you had Elliot sort of running at Kante and sort of almost just keeping him occupied and away from uh, Thiago, who can yeah. dictate play from deep. I I just think that's a tactical option. I think one of the best things about Elliot as well, which we we noticed on the weekend, obviously it was a massive surprise seeing him his first Premier League start. I think a lot of pundits I've seen saying it was his Premier League debut, but he's actually played a couple of times. I think he made his debut for Fulham at, uh, at 16, I believe, um, a few years ago. But his first Premier League start. 15. Really? Yeah, it was very, very young um, either way. And I think he came on for Liverpool in, in the title win season once or twice. Anyway, I seem to remember him coming on against Sheffield United at Anfield. Um but it's the way he draws fouls. Um, he reminded me a lot of Jack Grealish in the way that he could just jink away from his player at the last minute as as they're committed and win a foul. Is that and with the you know the set piece delivery that we have from the likes of, of Alexander Arnold and, and Robertson, that could be really advantageous going forward. I think. Yeah, it, it could potentially be massive for us, especially like Max said. You know, to have Van Dijk and Matip at the back clearing set pieces is massive, but to have two big, you know big players in the middle of the box as well going forward is, is huge last season we didn't have that at all you know Nat Phillips and Reese Williams aren't exactly people who are going to scare you um, as they're running towards you but no it's it, it's going to be massive you know we've seen Jack Grealish do it he's been the most fouled player in the Premier League last year um, we've seen Crystal Palace do it before that with Wilfred Zaha the most fouled player and you know those two teams have built themselves around getting people in the box and set pieces and well, I think, you know, the, the longer we've had Klopp in charge, I think the better we've got from set pieces, especially with Van Dyke. So, yeah. so it, could be, it could be huge. And 
especially if, if a game's not going our way. We're winning 1-0 and we're trying to hold on to a lead. If he can draw more fouls, try and slow the game down, you know, it could work into our advantage this season. But yeah, I think comparing him to Grealish is, you know, it's a good comparison. Um, but interesting, you know, Javi Elliott did better last season at Blackburn in the Championship <laughs> than Jack Grealish ever did for Aston Villa. So um, yeah, I just, want to, <laughs> just wanted to get that one in there. But yeah, I think it's going to be massive. I think that's a dangerous start to bring up, mate. Um, I, I'm going to draw the line at saying that Harvey Elliott is, um, I don't think he's, he's no, obviously he's nowhere near the level of Grealish yet. Um, he's still very, very raw, but the guy is a serious, serious talent. Um, and I, I, yeah, I, I think weirdly the moment when I knew that he was going to be a Liverpool first team player was when we got absolutely hammered by Aston Villa in the um, in the League Cup, I think it was, or the FA Cup. I can't remember which cup. Um, when the first team was away in Qatar, League Cup, and, I and he he was up against Neil Taylor, who not by any means the best left back in the world, but you know he was an experienced Premier League left back who you know played serious football. And Harvey Elliott was a child, literal child. And he was all over him. He made Taylor look like an idiot on multiple occasions. And I was just like, if this kid is doing this well in a team full of youngsters against an experienced Aston Villa team, what's he yeah. going to look like in a really good side with top-class players around him? And he looks fantastic. I really, I've got such high hopes for him. Yeah, it's very, very exciting. And even though we've not had, well, we've had one signing this summer, but obviously a lot of the fans are, enjoy the excitement of signing a player, but it is a bit of a cliche that he's one we've already had on our books, but he really could have that similar kind of impact this season. And I'm sure he may not be starting every game week in, week out, but he'll definitely have a part to play this year. And we've mentioned having Van Dijk and Matip back already and, and what they bring both in a defensive sentence and particularly Van Dijk in an um, attacking sense with the way he can distribute the ball forward, as we saw with the second goal. But also, I think a really big benefit, particularly of having a settled centre-back duo, and if we think that you know Van Dijk and Matip are going to go into this Chelsea game, as you'd expect as well, so that'd be three games in a row of a consistent partnership, is it frees up the fullbacks. I thought Trent obviously got man of the match on the weekend, Kostas got... Kostas Timikas got man of the match from Liverpool social media. Both fullbacks were probably the standout players for Liverpool. Do you think having that settled centre-back partnership, which we didn't have for the most part of last season, just allows the fullbacks to play their own natural game and not have to worry too much about... It sounds strange to say for defenders, but not have to worry too much about defending, which you know you've got two guys at the back who can mop everything up if a counter-attack does happen. I, th I think it's, it's a bigger thing for Trent more than Robertson. Um, obviously when he comes back more than Tim McCast as well is you know Trent loves to go forward we know how good he is we all down that right hand side whipping a ball in cutting inside as well and whipping it in with his left you know we, that goal the second goal on Saturday there's no way Trent would have been anywhere near the position he was, was if he had Nat Phillips and Reese Williams next to him I think him knowing that he's got a fully fit Jordan Henderson playing in the, in the six. Then he's got yeah. Fabinho. Then he's got um, Van Dyke and Matip behind them as well. And then Allison. I think it gives him, you know, a lot more confidence instead of sometimes when he was going forward, he was looking back and seeing Reese Williams is 
gangy legs trying to trying to make up ground. I think it may, it just must breed just so much confidence into such a young right back and with somebody with so much attacking talent. Um, and I think it's something that Robertson's really going to you know thrive off when he comes back. Um, hopefully for the Chelsea game, um, he hasn't played in this settled back four so far this season. Um, but yeah, it, it just must breathe a whole lot of confidence into you. When you push up to the pitch, the other team have got the ball. They look like they're going to counter you. And you just see Matip pulling the facial expressions that he does and being mm-hmm. the meme that he is. And then just looking at Van Dijk, he looks like he very rarely breaks a sweat. Yeah, having a settled back four absolutely helps the fullbacks. And having some centre-back, I mean, yeah, as I've discussed before, not quite so much with Matip, but having a centre-back with Van Dijk's recovery pace behind you, if you're an attacking fullback, is just an absolute godsend. Um, and you know Henderson will cover for Alexander-Arnold and drop in on the right wing. Because I think that for a few times last season, I think this is why Thiago and Trent suffered a bit, is that Thiago was playing on the right side of that eight and had to scream for Trent when he did go forward. And that is not even close to what Thiago's game is. And I think that hindered Alexander-Arnold both defensively and going forward knowing that it wasn't Henderson, it was Thiago covering for him. Brilliant player that Thiago is. He's not someone who's going to cover a winger who's going behind the fullback. That's just not his game. Um, but yeah, having having Trent there will be amazing. But what, what we saw towards the end of last season and more this season is he's going into central areas to create. He's not just banging crosses anymore, no matter what 12-year-old Man City fans on Twitter will tell you. Um, yeah. Uh, wow. he, he's starting to drop into midfield. Like that like that goal on the, on the weekend against Burnley, he was near the centre of the pitch. He wasn't far up their D, I don't think, um, uh, when okay. he played that little chip into Sadio Mane. And I think that when Jurgen Klopp does eventually go... I think we're going to see Liverpool bring in an orthodox right back and Trent will make that long talked about move into midfield. I can see that happening. Yeah, it might do that for England as well. I think a few pundits have suggested obviously how stacked England are at right back and for whatever reason, Southgate has looked hesitant at times to, to trust Trent's defensive ability and preferred the likes of, you know, Trippier and um, Reese James, etc. So, It'd be interesting to see for club and country what how as Trent's career progresses, what his position is like. Before we move on from the Burnley game, I want to talk a little bit about Jurgen Klopp's comments that have made quite a few headlines over the weekend. Um, obviously, there's a new refereeing style this season. Referees are, I say, being a bit more lenient. I think is is what they're being described as, and they don't want to blow up at all the small little fouls and kind of allow the game to, to flow a bit more. Obviously, that is something that Klopp didn't seem keen on at the weekend. He described, you know, if if, the, if you want to watch this kind of football, fans should watch wrestling or and the game's gone back 20 years with this kind of style of play. What do we what do we think about it? I think from a personal point of view, there were definitely a few moments on the weekend where I think Burnley players crossed that line. I think Goodmanson, um, obviously on Jottaway, froze him to the ground as the obvious example. Um, Charlie Taylor and Josh Brownhill also similarly flew into a few challenges that probably should have drawn fouls. But do we agree with him that this is inappropriate for the modern game? Or do we think, you know, it's better to see the game flowing a bit more? 
I, th- I think it's definitely better to see the game flowing more. I think it makes the game more interesting, makes it more attractive. And I think that's overall why they've done it is to try to get more eyes on the game and, you know, try and sell more um, TV rights around the world, you know, to, to appeal to, to fans instead of a stop-start game. Um, but I think, again, bringing a new ruling going into the season, I think it's just going to be, again, down to in- interpretation of the referees. I mean, the, the other one uh, on Saturday was the Jack Cork one on Jota. Jota's just yeah. stood in the penalty box. He's waiting for the ball to come in. He stands still waiting for the ball to come if it eventually comes to him. And Jack Cork just runs. You can see him. He doesn't make it, you know, doesn't try to hide the fact. He just runs into him, drops a shoulder, and Jota's on the floor. And and you can see where, you know, Jurgen Klopp's coming from. I know um, Solskjaer said something similar on Sunday for the tackle on, on Bruno Fernandes from, from Jack Stevens, But... I think if if the referees are gonna are gonna allow this, then they have to be consistent with it. And so far, they have been with the game on Saturday and the game on Sunday against uh, between Southampton United. Um, but I think it's I think it's a bit of a shock to the system from fans where we've gone from something last season where just a little bit of contact was enough to give a penalty or was enough to give a free kick. But this season, they're looking for more, and I think it's going to take everyone a while to adjust to the to the changes. Um, and I think you know, I, you know, Klopp will come around to it, and the other managers will come around to it because you know, over the course of the season, you'll get some and you won't get some. I think that's it. I mean, like, I, I think the policy, like, if you're a player, just operate as everyone should in life. Just operate under the "don't be a dickhead" policy. Like, you know, if it gives more license for shoulder to shoulders and fair slide tackles, and you know, a physical game, not a dirty game, a physical game. I have zero issues with that. I have absolutely no issues. However, some of the Burnley players did not adhere to the don't be a dickhead policy. Um, You know, throwing Diogo Jota to the ground because you can't get the ball off him. Now, it should be said, I think an advantage was played for that. I've heard reports that a foul wasn't given. I'm fairly sure advantage was played after that. So, you know, ifs and buts. But, you know, you can't just, like... That's just assault. You can't just yeah. throw someone to the floor. And the yeah, the Diogo Jota, when he got ran into in the penalty area, I think the issue there was that if the ball had gone anywhere near him, I think that would have been a penalty. But the ball was not even close to him. So I think I think I disagree with the ruling. It should have been a penalty, but I can understand why the decision was made that it wasn't a penalty. Um but yeah, I just yeah, I've no issue with it. I think that Jurgen Klopp, uh, like in all honesty, I, th- I think the 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 Ollie's claim about Bruno Fernandes was absolutely fair. That was a foul, no matter what the circumstance. I, I wasn't so I sure. I thought it was. I thought like you can't put your leg across someone and basically make sure that they can't get to the ball, foul them, and then when they're about to go down, touch the ball and claim that you got the tackle. You can't like that's but, a foul in my book. But the one with Bruno is he, he does what Jota did. He just stands there, plants his feet, and 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 doesn't do anything. So it, it, it's it's a similar one, like you said. Um, but I, I I think that Jack Stevens one was a fair tackle. I think if Bruno's oh, just going to stand there and not make an effort to defend the ball or to try and hold Stevens off, as soon as he felt the contact, he went straight down. Yeah, I agree, but I. I agree with you to an extent. Like you know, yes, he was standing there doing nothing, but you can't just you can't just hip some hip and shoulder someone 
when they're like when they are in control of the ball and then claim that it's a fair tackle. To me, to me, you, that was a foul, and I can. You can't only play for United. <laughs> um, no, I, like, I can understand all his grievances, and I can absolutely understand Jurgen Klopp's grievances. Um, you know, look, I'm all for a hard and fair game. And look, honestly, if someone wants to make, wants to make it a hard but fair game, I'm fairly sure six foot four, what plus two hundred pound plus Virgil Van Dijk and Ibrahim Kanate will have absolutely zero issues about that. Um, uh, so yeah, if that if if they're getting away with more physical stuff, and let's be honest, Jordan Henderson and Fabinho and Co have made some pretty robust challenges um, in the high-pressing style that Jurgen Klopp has implemented. Yeah. We're by no means the never guilty of putting in a heavy tackle. So if it helps with teams playing the high press and, you know, being a bit more aggressive in their tackling, I think in the long run it will help us um, with how we play. The only thing that is going to annoy me is um, that they've now basically admitted that uh, Fernandinho is getting away with every single um, cynical foul that he made <laughs> um, to break up counterattacks. So they've just gone, you know what, we'll do the same for everyone else. Yeah, Fernandinho has been doing that for about six years. But... <laughs> I kind of respect it. I won't lie to you. I kind of respect it. He's just like, Listen, I don't care. I will hurt I, I... you if you try and attack <laughs> Everyone loves. I think the outcome of it is everyone loves a bit shit houseery when it's on your side. Ends. We had Luis Suarez for God's sake. <laughs> I mean, like you know, we didn't quite love the whole racism and biting thing as much, but we kind of loved it when we got a penalty when he went down screaming like I mean, shot through the aorta. <laughs> yeah, when it when it goes your way, it's funny. It, it, it's it's different. Yeah, hundred percent. So we'll see how that progresses through the season. I think it is a bit ironic. Sean Dyche saying today, you know, Jurgen Klopp shouldn't have been name-checking individual players when he's on record of doing exactly that about Mo Salah and Sadio Mane's um, supposed simulation in the past. That's a little bit hypocritical from Dyche, but I guess we expect nothing, nothing less from, from Premier League managers. Um, yeah, I think you could level that. To be fair, like, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I think you could level that accusation at Klopp. Like, I think you could level it at anyone. Everyone just wants their team to do well and if that means having a go at the other team then you know every manager will do that and to be fair I can't stand Ashley Barnes Chris Wood I like I think he's a really good player but Ashley Barnes to me is just a guy who thinks he's hard and isn't is basically it's the comb over isn't it it's the comb over it's it's the comb over and it's the fact Chris Wood is like he's a big bastard he probably played rugby with Maoris in New Zealand like this guy has come up against big people then you're Ashley Barnes just going hello I'm from Lancashire and it's just yeah (laughs) no like you know get in the bin mate um Obviously, next up for Liverpool, we'd expect a very different kind of test. It's Chelsea, um, a Chelsea who have looked really good so far this season. And now, obviously, got Lukaku, one of the best forwards in the world, um, to add to that mix. So, it's, obviously, it's going to be a very different type of challenge for Liverpool on the weekend. This is a really big opportunity, probably for both Liverpool and Chelsea, to make a bit of a statement, don't you think, guys? Because two wins on the board for each team, pretty convincing wins for both Liverpool and Chelsea. Um, Chelsea against Palace and then against against Arsenal. But this is the first time either side are coming up against, you'd consider a title rival this year. It, it's got all the makings for a great game. And, and like I say, if one team comes out with a win, it's you know going to have a big psychological hit really early in the season. Yeah, this weekend is... 
I don't know if you can say a six-pointer with only three games into the season, but it but it is absolutely massive. You look at United dropping points on Sunday, you know, when you look at City dropping points last weekend. If you go and beat Chelsea this weekend, you're three points ahead of them, you're three points ahead of City, depending on their results, and you're two points ahead of United, depending on them. Then you go into the international break, and obviously we've already said, you no, know, it's no, that Salah's not being allowed to travel. Uh, for one of the games um, and the Brazilian players aren't going to go so the score's going to be fresh when they come back from international and then you kick on again and I think it's huge and obviously you know, Thomas Tuchel got the edge over us last season winning 1-0 at Anfield but I don't think we were in our greatest shape back then um, when when they played us so no, it's going to be huge and I think Van Dijk versus Lukaku is going to be something that I'll enjoy if we win on Saturday um, but if Lukaku gets the better of us it's, it's going to be a battle that, that I really don't want to see Yeah, Lukaku I mean I was saying this um, in the last in the last podcast I love Lukaku he's, he's such a monster what he did to Mari in the Arsenal game should frankly be illegal um, he just I, I haven't seen a centre-half get bullied like that in so long he just yeah. It was like it was like watching a year eight trying to mark a university student. It was just it was just not fair. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. Um, oh god, uh, Ben White is just counting his lucky stars that he wasn't involved in that game. Um, yeah, I think the Van Dyke Lukaku battle is going to be really interesting because the advice that I've always heard, and even Lukaku's done a YouTube video with Carragher basically explaining how to defend against him. If you, He wants you to get tight. He wants you to do exactly what Mary did because he is stronger than you. Whether he's strong, a pure test of strength between Van Dyke and Lukaku would be very interesting. Um, but he wants you to get tight to him because he will roll you and he's quicker than you and he's faster than you. But the issue is, if we drop off, and I have a suspicion we might see Timo Werner against us rather than um, Mount or Kai Havertz in one of those attacking yeah. positions because he, I think we'll start Matic. And I think Tuchel is going to say, right, stay the hell away from Van Dijk. I don't think there is going to be a Van Dijk versus Lukaku battle because I don't think, Van, I don't think Lukaku is going to go anywhere near him. I think he's going to be on Van Dijk. And if I were Tuchel, I'd be saying, right, get the ball to Lukaku, get him to hold it preferably on the counter-attack with the full-backs high. Werner running behind, ball into Lukaku's feet, lay off, get in behind, score. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be a very, very interesting battle. The one thing I would say is that some, for some reason, Arsenal just decided to let Chelsea bypass their midfield completely. Antonio Rudiger was just blasting balls straight out from <laughs> straight out yeah. from defense into Lukaku's feet. That's not happening against us. Fabinho simply will not let that happen. Um, and also, I would suspect, um, and I know this is our next topic, um, I would suspect Firmino will start with the express instruction of do not let Chelsea play those long direct passes into Lukaku's feet. Do not let them basically have life easy. Um, and yeah, I, I think that Firmino doing that and doing that job vitally and Fabinho cutting out balls into Lukaku's feet will be absolutely vital 
to how we play. And we need to pin Reese James as well. He was fantastic against Arsenal. I want Sadio Mane sitting right behind him. I, I'm very tempted to say don't even track it. Just sit in that hole on Azpilicueta and wait for that crossfield ball and just pin Reese James as much as you can. Make sure Chelsea don't have whip down the right. So we've kind of discussed a little bit, Max, you've alluded to it there about the importance of Firmino. Um, I, I thought I'd highlight it because I can see this being the type of game that Klopp would want him in, particularly for the reasons that you've already already mentioned there with the pressing um, that just doesn't bring as much. James, do you think it's a bit harsh on Jota to take him out, but it might be a necessity just to have those kind of things that Firmino does bring, if you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And it's it's finally nice to have some selection headaches this season instead of churning out the same start in 11 because of injuries last year. But no, I, I expect Firmino to start this game. It's, you know, we started lively against Burnley, uh, sorry, against Norwich when he came on. Um, so yeah, I think you know, the pressing and especially from the forward line and the midfield is going to be huge. You know, Chelsea play the back, you know, the back three and then with the two wing backs, I think that could be huge. And I know that obviously that will help with the Reese James situation down Chelsea's right hand side. I think you know Max said it before that you know he, he's wary of Reese James, but I think at times James looked really vulnerable at the back against Arsenal. I think because he pushed that far up, I think there's a few times Saka got in behind him and Pepe played a few balls. So as good as he was going forward, I think there's definitely a few mistakes to be had with Reese James. But no, I think you know. This is a game where Liverpool are going to have to get off to a fast start. They can't be relying on bringing players on to, to change the tempo of the game. They're going to have to go at it from minute one. Um, and I think, you know, as we've seen over the years, that front three of Firmino, Salah and Mane will put pressure on any defence in the Premier League and in Europe. So I think it makes sense. And un- uh, it is unlucky for Jota not, not to start. But I guess it's just a reminder, you know, from Klopp to him that that is something that he's going to have to change in his game. And, you know, hopefully it, it, it brings out the best in Jota, you know, on the training pitch. Yeah. Um, I've got a slight... I don't know if it's controversial. It's just a, it's something that I saw on social media and I thought it was quite an interesting question and it received a lot of abuse. Um, As uh, always. Yeah, because that's what social media does. Um it was, does Canate make his debut against Chelsea? Now, now, this is the thing, is that I can completely understand the argument that obviously throwing him in against Chelsea is a big, big gamble. However, Joel Matip, for all of his qualities, brilliant player that he is, do I trust him not to get physically bullied by Lukaku? who will inevitably stay as far away from Virgil van Dijk as he physically can throughout that game and not make any positional errors that will see him have a lack of recovery pace to catch a four going in behind him. I can see that happening. And Canate has got both that recovery pace and a much stronger physique than Joel Matip does. So going up in an individual battle against Lukaku might suit him a bit better. I'm not saying either way. To be honest, either way, I would say Matic should start. But I just think it's quite an interesting little debate and I don't think it's anywhere near as stupid as people made it out to be. Yeah, I think I think we've seen Matic go up against, maybe not to the extent of Lukaku, but we've seen him do well against the likes of Harry Kane, 
Robert Lewandowski, obviously Luis Suarez. I know they're not... But I would say all of them have, got, have not got the... But do they have the pace that Lukaku does on the turn? I don't think any of no, them they, do. They don't. That's they my don't, issue. Yeah. I see, I see what you mean, James. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I just think it's a very difficult one to throw Canate in in his debut against Chelsea yeah. in a back three that a back three that he, you know, because there'll be the three defenders around him. He didn't play with him pre-season. He was always in the B team compared to Van Dijk and Matip in the A team. So I think it's a big risk to throw him in. I do agree that, you know, he has got the pace and he's got the strength to deal with Lukaku. But as, as, a, as a fan going into the game Saturday, I want tried and tested going into such a big game. I don't want to throw Canate straight in. Um, but I agree with the strikers that Matip's gone up against. They haven't got pace. But they've still got the movement. They, they still know where the ball should be. They still know where the ball's going to be. And Matip has still kept up with them. He's still, he's, you know, he's got the awareness of the game to know where to be. So as much as the pace is a concern against Lukaku, I think his awareness on the pitch c- can get him out of trouble. Um, but yeah, I think throwing Canati in for this game is a huge risk. And I think Klopp doesn't really like to take risks because the one he has tried haven't always paid off. I think... Yeah. Sorry, you go. No, I was going to say, maybe the, the, I agree with James largely. I see that the benefits of, uh, of bringing Canate in because of his physical attributes that we've mentioned, but I think I'd be more wary to do it, as James has said, in such a big game. But the important person probably for the, for the way that we want to set up would be Fabinho. Obviously, we know he's, we don't know what, what, what his status is. I don't know if he's been training or anything like that. Obviously, he needs to take the time he needs after what's happened in the last week or so with his father passing away. But if he does feel like he's ready to play, would that, that's probably almost a more important question given how well and how good we know he is in his role, probably the best in the league. Yeah, I think if you throw Canate in, but with Fabinho in front of him, I'd be more confident because you've got Fabinho there who can can get the ball from the defenders or can drop in as maybe the, sometimes a third centre-half if they'll need to when they've, got, when, when they've got the ball. But I still think throwing such a young central defender in Canate into his Premier League debut against probably the most feared striker in Europe at the moment, I think it's... I, I still think it's a massive risk. And as much as I want to see Canate on the pitch because he's our only summer signing and I just want to see a new, a new face on the pitch... I just think this one might come a bit too soon for him. Yeah, fair enough. Like, you know, as I said, I, I think Matip should start. I just thought it was quite an interesting question. And it, like, I, I saw loads of people going, oh, this is stupid. Blah. And I was just like, I mean, it's not. Like, I can understand the logic behind it. It just, yeah, I was interested to see what you guys thought. But yeah, I think, uh, if we have Fabinho in there, because I don't think there is anyone more suited to stopping how Chelsea have played recently through the centre of the park than Fabinho is in the Premier League. He's so good at just seeing where the pass is going to come from, especially in central areas and just cutting it out. Um, if he, like, you know, obviously completely understandable if he does, um, if he doesn't play, Um you know, Jesus, asking someone to, you know, just throw themselves back into work after a family tragedy like that, after that amount of time, would just be kind of mental in my eyes. Um, 
if Jordan Henderson plays in the six and it's a Thiago and what Harvey Elliott or Navigator um, or even Ox um, midfield three, then I, you know, I have more issues um, and absolutely wouldn't start Canate in that case. Yeah, I, if Fabinho doesn't play, I'm quite nervous. I've got to say, I'm quite nervous about that if he doesn't play. We'll see. We'll see. We'll put it to our um, followers on Twitter as well, the Canate Matic question. So I do definitely think it's something that's worthwhile. But fingers crossed we get a positive result because I think we're all going to be really nervous watching on Saturday night, wherever we are in the world um, during that game. It's definitely probably the biggest one we've had for a little while, um, especially at the start of the season. But until then, we'll leave it there for this week, guys. So James and Max, thank you for joining me as always. Thank you for having us again, boys. Always a pleasure, my friend. And if you want to have see any of our other content at Anfield Central, you can check out our website at anfieldcentral.co.uk and on Twitter, Anfield underscore Central. We also have podcasts every week on Acast and Apple Pods, and we'll be back next week talking all things Liverpool. We'll be reacting to the Champions League draw that takes place later this week as well, which will be exciting as well as what happens in the Chelsea game and the transfer window as well, if there's anything to report at all. But until then, goodbye.